Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're going to talk about emergency services. Our guests in the studio are Mike Dekoff, who's the Bloomington police chief, Roger Kerr, who's the Bloomington fire chief, and David DeGroot, who is the hospital am- Bloomington Hospital Ambulance Service director. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. We couldn't have timed this program better. Nope. <laughs> no, this is, this is fantastic. Um, as, as we uh, you know, all know, there was a bit of a shaking going on this morning, a little bit of an earthquake. So it's great to be have you guys in here because I'm sure that you got some phone calls and will probably uh, – well, I know you haven't been out doing a, a whole lot of activity because it wasn't that bad. But, Mike, why don't you talk about the, what happened in your dispatch center this morning? Well, we uh, we have the uh, central dispatch center located in our building. And right after the earthquake, we received 158 911 calls in about a 15-minute time period. <laughs> so we had four dispatchers on duty. So that's that's a little overwhelming for them. Um, but <laughs> but they, uh, they got through it. Yep. And, Roger, were you call, guys called in to do anything? Mm-hmm. Uh, we made one call about uh, I think it was six forty-five or six fifty. It was a smoke detector going off in the house. I'm not sure it was even related to the uh, earthquake, but that's the only call we actually went out on. All right. And David, how about you? Anything in standard stuff? Standard just, uh, medical yeah. response, uh, uh, traffic accident, that type of thing. Right. Nothing, Nothing fell on anybody's no. head or anything. No. No. All right. Well, that's good. So I know I you know I talked to or I heard from the mayor earlier this morning. And I know he he said that crews were going around to check and see if there were any. Any kind of uh, water main breaks and things like that. Mike, do you know more about what happened? One of the things we did was had all of our officers check all, you know, in their districts to see if there were any any uh, infrastructure problems with water breaks or power lines down or anything like that. And, and obviously we didn't find anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do know that the utilities department went out and checked uh, some of their sites and made sure that all the pumps and everything were still working and, and everything was fine. Do you guys right. make contact with Vectron to see if the natural gas lines are intact? Usually what happens if there's a, a gas leak, they will call – the person will call 911 and uh, dispatch will usually send out the fire department to check on that. Okay. I'm not right. aware of any of those no. issues happening. So. No. And now about 11.15 or so, we had a, a follow-up tremor of some sort. And I haven't heard how serious that one was or if it was as bad as the one this morning. I, uh, I looked at the uh, U.S. Geological website and they hadn't posted anything yet on it. Um, but we did have a second one. Um, I heard it. I didn't feel it. There were a lot of people in our building that, that felt it. But as far as I know, there weren't any any uh, any damage from that. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Now we have a we have a, a quake cam up in the newsroom. We put a little <laughs> oh, we, no. put, we put we put a little glass, uh, <laughs> and it's got it actually has a little rubber ducky in the top of the water, and we have one of our iMac cameras focused on it. So <laughs> that is high tech. If there is a third one, we will show you what goes on. <laughs> I, actually, really I actually saw some of the tech. footage from some of the Indianapolis news stations from, uh-huh. from security cameras where they were they were vibrating and stuff. Yeah, I know it's pretty funny. Well, hopefully that we won't have anything serious happen. It's, it's great to have a, an emergency like this. Everybody's talking about, but it's not really an emergency. Yeah, nobody yeah. gets hurt. Right. It's, a good, yeah, right. it's the kind you want to have. All right. Yeah. Our guests today are the, the fire chief and the police chief from Bloomington. Um, uh, Roger Kerr is with us, and Mike Dekoff is with us, and also the Bloomington Hospital Ambulance Service Director, David DeGroot. So we're talking about emergency service issues. Well, let's go back to some, sort of a, a more general thing, and I, I think... Um, you know, I want to talk to. I'm going to start with with Roger. You just took over recently as the yes. the fire chief. So, what are the the big needs of the fire department? Well, fortunately, um, we've been very fortunate uh, under Mayor Cruzan's uh, administration. We've been very lucky. We actually got the fire tower, which was something been talked about in Bloomington since probably the 1950s, and uh, <laughs> made it happen. So that that was a big push for us. Our equipment's in better uh, better shape than it has been in a long time. We've gotten some new piece of equipment on, on a pretty steady pace. Um, personnel's in good shape. Uh, stations are—we have some stations that need some maintenance issues, maintenance issues. But uh, overall, I think our department's in actually really good shape. Uh, like I say, Mary Cruzan's administration has been very good to the fire department, and we're very appreciative of that. Mm-hmm. All right. And Mike took over as police chief. Yes. Same time. Uh, I, I would agree with Roger. The mayor has been has been uh, very kind to us. Um, we have added officers each year. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we are in the process of constructing a uh, small arms training facility, which is something that, that uh, this area desperately needed for law enforcement. Um, 
you know, conversations that I'm having with him is, is I would like to add officers to our, to our force. Um, I think that will allow us to do some some different types of things with with crime prevention, and um, we can get more officers out on the street patrolling. Um, so, you know, other than that, it, things are are going really well for us. Um, this, the mayor and the city council have been very supportive of uh, law enforcement and public safety in general. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. You have David a crack at that same Sh- well, question. Sure. Well, David's been here a long time. You know, so, <laughs> so if there's anything going on, and you know, if he if he needs anything, he, he's well, probably spoken about it. All. Let's back up. <laughs> no, no. But and, and, and look, get to the reason that we even have David here with us today. Um, David, I know that you and I met for the first time just recently Wednesday because um, uh, a leadership Bloomington Monroe County group. Uh, we do project groups uh, within mm-hmm. that organization every year, and they took on BHAS um, as their their project to focus on. Would you like to talk to a little bit about how that transpired and, and what they're trying to accomplish as far as assisting the ambulance service in Bloomington? Well, sure. And we really appreciate the effort that they put into uh, the, to, to the ambulance service. It's nice to, to, you know, to have an outside group uh, really focus on our needs. And we have uh, specific needs. One of the things that they wanted to do is they wanted to do a quick um, – I think, gift to our operation, something that we could hang on to uh, quickly. And and what they did is they came to us and and wanted to know what was on our project list. And one of the things that's been on our project list for many years is uh, mapping and laptops in our ambulances. But, you know, our budget couldn't absorb the cost of 21 laptops, you know, for for, uh, this operation, as well as the software thinking uh, at the mapping software and and, uh, some other software that we needed. So we've kind of had to push that back. Um, this group was able to secure us 21 laptops uh, at no charge to us with a three-year turnaround. So that really freed up uh, some money for us that will allow us now to go to a mapping system, which we are really excited about. What does that mean, a mapping system? It's basically uh, there's a 15-inch laptop that's mounted in an ambulance. And when dispatch uh, dispatches a, a unit, uh, the crew gets in, uh, the map pops up, it shows us where we're going and where we are. And then it allows us to, to pick the best route. Right now, we're just using maps mm-hmm. that we put together. And uh, with the additions that are uh, popping up in Monroe County every day, sure. uh, a lot of the roads just aren't on our map. So this is a, a very big um, improvement in our response. Our response time is good. We're uh, about 7.8 minutes, which is better than national standards. But you know, there are times when it's just difficult to find uh, some of these roads that, that aren't mapped. So this is a big thing. And the second thing that they wanted to do is they wanted to get our, our – um, I guess our, our mission, our, our message out there more, which we've been doing, and uh, focus on the funding issue, mm-hmm. which has been around forever. And uh, so we're, we're spending quite a bit of time with groups just explaining why uh, we're running at a deficit. And it's very simple mm-hmm. um, why we are. Operationally, we're doing very well. Uh, we're staying within our budget. Uh, it's the reimbursement. Uh, that's the bottom line. And it's affecting – Like insurance reimbursement, Medicare, Medicaid, Medicare, that Medicaid, sort of thing? Medicaid, uh, HMOs and so forth. It's affecting health care across the country. Every ambulance service is being hit uh, the same way because we're only getting about 30 to 40 percent back on our on on uh, our our invoices and so forth and you just can't operate that well and then our subsidy um, you know could uh, needs to be looked at uh, that we get from the city I mean from the county and mm-hmm. IU um, so that's that's the big long-term uh, uh, project goal that they had was to get our word out there a little bit. You know, uh, working with that group a little bit and, and learning alongside of them, as, as I was lucky enough to, to get to do, I was very interested to learn the very different approach that um, Lafayette, West Lafayette, takes to their ambulance service compared to the way we approach it. And I wonder if you'd speak to that just a little bit. I'm, I'm really not uh, real familiar with the, with the Lafayette system. Um, most places recognize the fact that EMS uh, ambulance service is a, the third public safety agency. There's police, fire, and EMS, and they're all equally as important. And a lot of communities that we've looked at when we've looked at this issue, it's just automatically a part of, their, uh, of, of the budget or else it's tax-based. Mm-hmm. In our situation, it's, it's part of the county budget. Uh, it comes out of general funds. And so I think it's really kind of time to take a look at 
you know, what this community needs to do to better finance, you know, uh, the hospital's not looking at making any money on right. the ambulance. They just want to break even. But they've been subsidizing to the tune of about four hundred to $600,000 a year. And there are ways to fix that problem that people wouldn't even feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, and you talked about the kind of the public awareness aspect of this effort too. What what did you get done along those lines, and, and what were your goals for that? Again, it's, it's, it's uh, answering questions, uh, trying to get people to understand how we operate. Uh, EMS is one of those professions that people just don't want to think about until you need us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want <clears throat> to get our word out that we provide the highest level pre-hospital care. Anywhere around, um, and people should be proud of that. We work very closely with the police departments and the fire departments. So we've got this county covered with response. Um, you need us. You're going to have somebody at your door in just a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And then we all work together. Uh, you know, in in the in the care of the patient. It's a it's really a remarkable system that we have in place here. We want to get that word out. Mm-hmm. There's a cost associated with that, obviously, mm-hmm. and so we we. We tie those two in together. Mm-hmm. And so um, I understand that you and the, and the group made some public service announcements that probably the public can look forward to seeing soon. I don't know if they can look forward because I'm in there. <laughs> they're going to be on CATS uh, for a few years. Yeah, it really deals with what to do, uh, you know, when an emergency vehicle approaches you from the back. You know, people, we see it every day. Uh, they just don't know what to do. Uh, I can't figure that. How do people just – they just stop in the middle of the road. I just can't even believe it. It's like, did, did none of you people go through driver's ed? They just don't want to get – Give their lane up. I think, oh, it's, and, and you know, in in uh, in reality, a lot of them just don't know what to do. If you got a, you know, a four lane one way road, you know, you're in the middle. Which which way do you go? You know, mm-hmm. and so we understand that, and I think all of us that do emergency response anticipate that, and so we're very cautious. We never know what somebody's going to do. The the thing that we want to highlight is what to do. You know, mm-hmm. turn signals tell us that you see us. I don't care if you go to the right or left. You're supposed to go to the right. Sure. But uh, that helps out. And then we, we talked about uh, on these PSAs um, how to determine when to call for an ambulance. That's mm-hmm. a big question and and so forth. So it's just, just a little bit more about us and what to do, you know, uh, when, you know, you're faced with an emergency. You know, I've had two ambulance calls to my house once, very, one very recently when I fell out of my attic. We talked about that um, before. We did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was shocked at the speed with which there were people at, at our house. And, and that was certainly the case um, uh, when that happened before. I think the first time, and this was a, a neighbor had a stroke at our house, unfortunately. And um, I think that the ambulance was there within three minutes. It was uh, just staggering uh, how quickly uh, you folks were able to get there. So I certainly thank you and applaud you and felt that I got, as you say, uh, absolute top quality care. Yeah, I thank you too because she didn't even miss a show. (laughs) She was wheeled in here. She was on lots of heavy drugs, but she she didn't miss a show. You know, that show went really fast for me. (laughs) We have a phone call. We're going to go to the phones and Stan is on the line. Stan? Hi. Um, you briefly mentioned in the conversation the, the, the funding problem. I'm, I'm sort of surprised that this isn't dealt with in a, in a much broader context. It, it's a political necessity, and uh, there was, a, there was a, uh, a brief note of it in the HT about the question of outlying new developments as well. And I really think that this is something that, that our political leaders should engage in in a public way as part of the educational process for funding these essential services. That's all I wanted to say. All right. Any reaction? I agree with him uh, 100%. Mm-hmm. Okay. Our phone numbers again, 855-0811-877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu. We just had – we just survived, I should say, another little five-weekend here in Bloomington. <laughs> I'd like to hear about how that went from each of your perspectives this year. Um, I'll start, I guess. <laughs> There were over 200 arrests. I think our agency made um, – I think I saw some numbers around 60 or 70 uh, arrests. Do you have all hands on deck during yes. Little Five Weekend? I mean like nobody's – everybody's on shift. We, we required everybody to work and everybody worked 12-hour shifts both Friday and Saturday. Um, we had shifts – we had a, a squad of, of officers coming in at 2 a.m., and working until 2 p.m. to cover some of the overlapping time when, when officers got off at 4 a.m. Um, so we had we had a, the day shift worked 
from 6 in the morning to 6 in the afternoon, and then we had the afternoon and night shift come in um, and work from 4 to 4 and 6 to 6. So okay. we, had, we had a lot of people working. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if I'm a drunk kid, underage, out on the street, you, you catch me. I'm doing something stupid, <laughs> being in somebody's <laughs> garden or something, and you catch me. Then what happens to me? Well, it, it's because it is such a busy weekend. I mean, you, you really have to draw attention to yourself to get arrested um, because, you know, if, you, if you're – if you've had a little bit too much to drink and you're okay and you can get home safely, we're probably going to just let you go. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really the ones that draw attention to themselves um, that get arrested. Mm-hmm. So, and the other thing that happened uh, this weekend was the weather cooperated with us because it was much colder on Saturday and that kept a lot of people inside. Yeah. So, and, and Purdue didn't have their uh, Grand Prix weekend. It's I think this weekend. And so there were a lot more excise officers in town. Oh, so okay. So anyway, so what happens to me? Let's say I do get, I make enough of a spectacle of myself. If you get arrested, yeah, I get arrested. If you get arrested, you go to jail or you're cited. Then you have to appear in court on Sunday morning. At do I have to spend the night in jail? Where would you put everybody? Well, if you get arrested and you're taken to jail, you would spend a certain amount of time. It just depends upon how. They'll find a place for you. Yeah, it depends upon how intoxicated you are. They, they, you have to detoxify and, st- and stay in the drunk tank, which is. Been, yeah. You've been I've, there, you said? Yeah. No. <laughs> I've had a tour. I oh, okay. I've had okay. a tour. Sometimes yeah. that gets a little aromatic. Yeah, it's, it's not a fun place. No. Um, so usually what happens on a little five weekend is you appear in court. You, uh, a lot of people go through the pretrial diversion program through the prosecutor's office where you pay a fine. You do some road crew and you go through an alcohol education class. Um, those who choose not to, to go that route will appear in front of a judge and usually they, uh, they will uh, set your hearing for a court date. Mm-hmm. Bring your checkbook. Mm-hmm. For PDP, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I, I yeah. was talking to somebody who uh, owns some property in town. She has several houses that she rents to students. And she said that the weather can make a huge difference, that if the weather is nice, she can count on somewhere between thirty dollars and $40,000 worth of damage to her properties for the <gasps> five weekend. Are you kidding? And if the weather is not nice, it's going to be seven to ten. I mean, do you see those kind of fluctuations in terms of the activity around town? Oh, I think so. I mean, uh, yeah. we do especially, and I'm sure Dave does with the ambulance calls. Uh, the warmer and nicer it is, the more people are out wandering around doing things they shouldn't. The colder it is, they go inside and, mm-hmm. and either they probably do the same thing. They just don't get out where everybody finds them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> One of the big differences we saw, Friday night we had a lot of parties where they were out in parking lots yeah. and out in yards. And Saturday night we didn't have those those numbers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we just we just didn't see them. They were, they were inside. I'm you sure honk, they, we drink. Yeah, I saw a lot of that. <laughs> How do you deploy the ambulance service during Little Five Weekend? Um, you just wait for the calls? or Well, we – from history, we know what to expect <laughs> and the weather is. We were praying for snow. Uh, <laughs> and we got some cold weather on Saturday. Our volume really didn't decrease. We, we were very busy on Friday, Friday night, Saturday and Saturday night. Uh, there was a, just a shift to where the runs were. Um, but we bring on extra crews. We have uh, five – primary ambulances uh, staged throughout the county as we normally do. And we brought extra crews in and manned at least two extra units and an extra squad, uh, actually two extra squads. So we were pretty pretty uh, r- much ready for it. Mm-hmm. But we ran about, uh, I think we ran about 40 to 45 runs on Friday, uh, which our crews didn't see their stations uh, for their entire shift. What's average? Uh, average is about maybe 25 runs a day. Okay. And and that's that's kind of a busy day with the number of units that we have because we stage up and down based upon the time of the uh, of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had uh, we we had some crazy runs. Yeah. I mean, crazy <laughs> runs. We had people that fell off of you know roofs of three floors out of an attic. Uh, yep. Yeah. Out of an attic. <laughs> that wasn't that weekend. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then we had you know our our regular assortment of medical runs and. We actually had very few traffic-related runs. That was kind of surprising. But uh, now, all of you have been here quite a, quite a while in various jobs related to law enforcement and, and emergency services. The uh, little five seems to have really calmed down considerably from what six or seven years ago. Mm-hmm. To what do you attribute that? Is there I, any? I think it's law enforcement presence. I think yeah. the last time I f- I physically worked a little five, and I say the last time. Uh, I got got hit in the head with a full beer can from about, I don't know, two stories up. And I said, that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's it for me. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it was – we had to have um, 
law enforcement escort us into certain apartment complexes a few years ago because it was just that violent. And I think with law enforcement's presence out there cracking down, it's uh, it's much changed for us. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I think it was – what was that, Mike? The early 90s was probably the worst. Late 80s, early Late 90s. 80s yeah. The, um, the you know, 80s. they were – setting fire to couches mm-hmm. and the doors off the front of their apartments and everything else. And I think law enforcement, not only that weekend, but I think leading up to that weekend with the uh, quiet nights and the uh, uh, noise enforcement, I think, has played a big part in the reason it's they're still having fun, yeah. but they're just not doing it in destru- right. quite as a destructive manner. You know, one of the things that helped this year, you should talk about the uh, uh, inspection teams because that we, we felt like that helped a lot at the bars this year. We have uh, mm-hmm. started, or it, it was an idea of ours, and, and uh, thanks to BPD, they jumped on board. Uh, we started kind of a little task force that uh, goes around and checks occupancy loads in some of the bars and nightclubs. Uh, Bloomington Police Department, Bloomington Fire, uh, Excise, uh, State Fire Marshal's Office. And I think that was all that's been involved. But we went around before Little Five to explain to people, you know, you have an occupancy limit. Uh, please abide by it. And then we went back out on a little five weekend and, and done it again. And obviously we did have some violations, but I think it helps that people understand that, you know, there's a limit and that somebody's going to be watching. And I think that kind of kept the crowds uh, more manageable, I think, in some establishments. We can kind of predict usually where we're going to have problems out on a little five weekend and predict the time periods we're going to have problems. And, and the bars really were not a problem this year. And I really attribute that to the, those inspection teams. Now, it seems to me that the university also changed a little bit about how it was sort of marketing the weekend and how and really sort of they don't like to call it the world's greatest college weekend anymore. So that must have helped too. I think it did. Uh, you know, back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, it was nationally advertised. MTV would show up and do things and they quit doing that. And so that, that helped cut down on the numbers of people that were showing up. Mm-hmm. Um, IU... Police department works closely with our department during that weekend. If we need assistance, they they bring. In fact, they had officers on Saturday night downtown on, on Walnut Street helping with some of the bar traffic. Mm-hmm. Now, I was interested. I stopped into um, Big Red for to purchase an adult beverage, <laughs> and uh, noticed they had an armed um, police officer in Big Red. Is that something that someone they would have hired themselves, or how does that work? It wasn't a police officer from my department. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It probably was a security. It was. Company. He was in uniform. I think it was a brown uniform. So is that a sheriff? Probably, or it still could have been some kind of a security company. There were a lot of lot of places hired security. I saw Denny's had security officers this weekend, and that that tends to help because people see somebody in uniform and, and they don't want to get as rowdy. They don't know if it's security or police. But, uh-huh. And are you guys are good with that. You think that's fine? Sure. I mean, as long as they're they're trained security people and they don't cause us problems. I mean, there are some some security companies that really cause us problems because they start stuff and then we have to come in and take care of business then. But yeah. as, as long as they keep things, keep people calm, that's that's a good thing. Okay. All right. Eight five five zero eight one one is our local number, 877-285-9348. And you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. David, I think this question is directed toward you. This is an email that came in and it asks, on the average, can you tell me what each ambulance run costs? We actually have about 15 different rates. Um, it starts uh, at the lowest rate of just a basic life support where paramedic skills are not uh, needed, even though a paramedic may be treating the patient. Uh, and this is based upon national uh, ambulance rate structures. But uh, we range anywhere from uh, low 300s up to uh, a high specialty transport of uh, uh, around 900. Mm-hmm. And then there's a mileage charge that goes along with that. Oh, so there is a mileage charge. Yeah, I wondered about that. If it, if it was something close yeah. by, it would be less. But than... again, the problem is it doesn't matter what we charge. It's what the reimbursements are. Mm-hmm. And, and you can't go after the part that's not reimbursed? Uh, some you can. It depends on what kind of insurance uh, they have. Like mm-hmm. there are restrictions as far as uh, Medicaid patients. Mm-hmm. You just get what they give you, mm-hmm. uh, and that's it. And then we also have a, a pretty good uh, number of individuals that don't have insurance and need our service and don't pay. Mm-hmm. So uh, we try and keep our rates um, midstream with other services uh, uh, around the area mm-hmm. and uh, services that provide the same level of care that we provide. Okay. All right. It's uh, time to take a, a short break. So we're talking about emergency services today. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back.
You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. If you're a person on the go, you can take WFIU programs with you. We're podcasting. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer. Listen anytime from your computer, iPod, or portable player. You can download podcasts of full-length programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Movie Play and Opera Reviews. You can find out how with a visit to our website at wfiu.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. And our guests today and Bloomington Ambulance Service Director David DeGroot, Bloomington Fire Chief Roger Kerr, and Bloomington Police Chief Mike Decoff. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. And before we start the second half of the program, I want to to let you know that next uh, Thursday and Friday at noon, WFIU will be presenting an hour-long call-in. Uh, their forums with Indiana's Democratic gubernatorial candidates. Uh, therefore, Noon Edition will be pushed back to a special time next Friday, 1 p.m., and our guests will be Indiana University President Michael McGrobby. So I hope you'll join us next week a little bit later. Uh, I wanted to talk about, about training. We sort of mentioned training a little bit. And David, I want to start with you. You've been uh, in your position for quite a long time, and you must have seen different levels of training required for people to do your job. To, do the job that, that you're doing. How, how's that sort of trans, uh, transpired over time? When I got started, we were dealing with horses. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't been that long. Uh, no, I, I've been doing this for 33 years now, and when I got started, there was no uh, state or national certification for individuals working on an ambulance. That has obviously changed. Uh, the first uh, national training program for EMTs, paramedics, hadn't, haven't been, hadn't been a, you know, invented yet. It was an 80-hour training program, you know, and then you took some tests with the state and so forth, and then you worked on an ambulance. Uh, now, uh, to work on an ambulance, you have to be an EMT, uh, emergency medical technician. That training program is about a four-month uh, program consisting of about uh, three to 400 hours of pretty intense training. To be a paramedic, you have to be an EMT, um, and then uh, you have to find a paramedic training institute. Uh, a paramedic goes through about two years of really intense training. It, it's uh, uh, about 1,600 hours, and uh, we cover everything from the cell all the way through and pharmacology, uh, cardiology assessments. It, it, it covers everything. So it's, it's, and then you have to recertify on a, on a regular basis with uh, type-specific uh, competencies and, and didactic uh, education and so forth. So. And when, when the ambulance goes out, who, who's on it? We have either two paramedics or one paramedic and an EMT minimum. Okay, so the paramedic would be able to really assess the situation and talk with a doctor, I would assume, and be able to give. We communicate with the ED on every run. It doesn't matter if it's a broken arm or a cardiac arrest. Mm-hmm. And uh, our EMTs are, are really very good. It's a big, solid part of the team. Mm-hmm. So the paramedic and the EMT team work together to, to assess the patient correctly and then perform whatever uh, treatment is necessary. Okay. So it's a two year program, full-time, got to be in school program to get to be a paramedic? Uh, it, it, it can be done. Um, you know, it's not full-time, no. You know, the programs are, are set up basically to allow people to work. Okay. Um, so it's uh, wives and husbands of paramedic students don't see them very much mm-hmm. uh, while they're in training. Mm-hmm. And then what can a paramedic uh, who's fully trained expect to make uh, annual salary? It varies whether it's a, a hospital-based service, private private service, or government. Um, but for the most part, uh, I think we start our paramedics off, and people are pretty astounded at this. But that's the way that it is. And uh, we start our paramedics off at about uh, sixteen an hour, 
Uh, they also get experience pay. That's not enough. Uh, we're continually working. Hospitals working towards uh, getting those salaries up. And, you know, those uh, uh, medics with uh, municipal companies, they make a little bit more. It's just the way that the structure is. So, so let me get this straight. You guys are, <laughs> <laughs> you guys are dodging cars and trucks out as you go to and from your runs. You're dealing with bloody hacked up god-awful who-knows-what, dying people, you know, people with mental illness, the whole shebang mm. for 16 bucks an hour. It, 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 uh, that's a start. That's a start. Uh, we've got a lot of long-term people here, and it, it's, a, it's a reasonable, you know, um, annual income for those that have been around for a while because there are increases through the hospital every year. And so you can work yourself up, but you know, yeah, it, it's a very hazardous job. And uh, but the, the the people that are in EMS, as we've said for so long, I don't I don't know if this is true or not, but they they don't do it for the money, even though the money's nice and it needs to be continued looked at to, mm-hmm. to get it up uh, to par. But uh, why do you do it, David? I like helping people. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the big turn-on, I think, for everybody that, that's in uh, this profession. Um, you like taking chaos. You like uh, not knowing what you're going to be faced with, and you don't. Uh, assessing, evaluating, uh, and then acting uh, for the betterment of that patient. And, and uh, there are some very sad um, events that we're exposed to, mm-hmm. and uh, but there are some really – happy ones too. And so I think that's what we're all in it for. Well, I never want to have a job where I might get vomited on. <laughs> that's really, I want to avoid I'll tr- that. <laughs> I'll, try to stay, I'll try to stay healthy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, th- this is an issue. I, you know, I, I sort of can get riled up about it because I think that our society doesn't exactly pay people. Uh, we, don't, we don't pay enough money for certain things and we pay way too much money for other things. Right. And Teachers I don't think are another good you know, But it's not certainly not just the ambulance service. It's police, police officers. It's firefighters. And, and, you know, I'm not saying that you guys are poor or anything. I think the salaries have, have increased. But, you know, again, just like with David, you know, why did, why did you two guys get into the line of work that you're in? It wasn't for the money, I'm what sure. What were you thinking? Roger? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, about 20 years ago, I had a, a good friend of the family who was already on a department. And uh, at that time, the, the place I was working at was getting ready to go out of business. And he called and said, hey, the fire department's hiring. Good opportunity. So I said, well, if he thinks it's a good opportunity, it must be. <laughs> and once I went uh, and got started and got into the department, I don't know if I could have done anything else. It's yeah. just been – I'm like, Dave, you like helping people. You also like the fact that you come in every day. Today will be definitely be different than tomorrow. Tomorrow mm-hmm. will be different than the next day. You never know what you're going to run into. It's not coming in but doing the same thing day after day after day. The basics of it are the daily routine part of it is, yeah. but as far as you know, you may run here on call today. That may be a cardiac arrest with with the ambulance service. I may get called in tonight to to uh, help the cert team uh, when they go to serve a warrant. So the, the wide variety you get a chance to come into is, I think, what keeps it going. Yeah, and Roger, how's your life changed uh, being the chief now? Um, well, obviously enough, it's, it's become longer hours. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of stuff goes home with you because uh, you, you just don't. You know, when you're in your office, the phone rings, the emails pop up. Uh, you still want to see your your personnel. You want to be out in the stations and connect with them. So sometimes taking it home in that quiet time at home is the best time to get it done. So yeah. find it. It just seems like the hours have gotten a little bit longer, but it's also rewarding. I think our department is making great strides in, in directions that we've hoped to go, and uh, so it, that's exciting. Uh, very exciting for our department. We're in an exciting time for our department. We've gotten a lot younger over the last. Uh, ten years, I think we're probably half our department has less than ten years on. So uh, we're a lot younger than we were, which is exciting because everybody's excited. They want to learn. They want to train. They want to do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And as the older guys get ready to retire, it's neat seeing them pass all that, that knowledge they have learned back down the, the, the ladder. So yeah. it's an exciting time for us. Same, same questions for you, Mike. When, why did you get in, into the line of work, and then how's it, how's it changed since you've been the chief? You know, p- p- being a police officer is a job that – you know, like Roger said, you go to, to work today and something might happen and tomorrow can be completely different. Um, police officers are a little bit different than what Roger and David were talking about because, you know, we can also investigate crimes. And, and I've been associated with some really interesting crimes that have occurred um, and investigating those and following those through. Um, it, it's, it's just you don't get bored. It's always changing and, and it's always different. Um, as far as being chief, how my life has changed, a uh, lot longer hours. Um, you're responsible now for everything that happens. So, you're, you know, you always want to know what's going on. 
Um, you know, and you get to you get to kind of guide the department and do the things that that you think will benefit the community. And so that that's a big thing for me. Yeah. yeah. All right. Phone numbers again, 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can send email to noon at indiana.edu. David, I know um, through the Leadership Bloomington Monroe County program, I learned that for each run, you go through about nine plus pages of, of paperwork. That's just you pulling out of the garage, basically nine pages of paperwork. Um, I wonder if each of you experiences that kind of paper overload in your day-to-day work? I will, yes, we do. Uh, thank goodness, I think the paper part of it has decreased somewhat uh, due to computers and uh, that kind of technology. We do the same thing. We, you know, Every run we go on, we have to come back and we have to record it, uh, fill out a run report, that kind of thing. But it's all done electronically now, which mm-hmm. is, is a big help. It still probably takes um, – average run probably still takes 15 to 20 minutes when the officer gets back to fill out his the, the run sheet as far as what we did, what time we got there, and all that kind of stuff. So that's still pretty demanding, but at least we don't have the paper uh, transfer going back and forth like we did – like we used to have. So that, that, that part has helped, but we still have that issue, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mike? I think it depends on what the call is with us. I mean we're trying to do as much as we can by computerizing things. Uh, we, we recently got technology in our police cars where we don't really have to write traffic tickets anymore. We can take your driver's license and scan it and it will fill in all the information for us and then we just print it out in the car. Great. So it, 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 <laughs> it makes it a lot more efficient. <laughs> yeah, that's great, Mike. Um, Super. Happy to hear it. You know, you know it, it depends on what kind of call. If it's, if it's a major crime, obviously we're going to have to document everything we do. And so we have case reports that sometimes are, you know, murder investigations can be hundreds of pages long. Um, you know, you can work in a, a traffic accident and those are all computerized anymore. We, we get the information and fill it out and it prints it all out for us. So technology has helped us a lot because it's computerizing a lot of things and we can just fill in the blanks and print it out. And then those pesky journalists like us want to see, about, see it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. But we just print it out for you. I know. We appreciate it. <laughs> we appreciate it. Hey, I got a question for you. Are, the tra- are traffic tickets a moneymaker for – where does that money go? Does, it, does that help fund the department? The, the bulk of that money goes to the state and on each traffic ticket that is written. Um, the state? Yeah. If it's in the city of Bloomington? Well, there's state laws. Oh, that. Okay. So, um, and there's a $3 um, fee that comes back to the police department for training. It's a training fund. Well, big whoop. I uh, know. They should increase it so we can have more training money. That doesn't make sense. All right. All right. We have a phone call. Uh, BJ? Yes. I had a question for Chief Dekoff. I noticed uh, he was on the city council for a while. I wonder if he'd uh, care to discuss uh, how that influences his uh, job, uh, because I know on the council you could debate stuff for hours, and on police work, either person's under arrest or they're not. You don't debate it for two hours with them. <laughs> and I, wondered, uh, and I, I just wondered if he could address how, how serving on the council has uh, affected him, either good or bad, uh, as a, uh, a police chief. I spent nine years on the city council. I think it was a tremendous help. Um, when I became police chief. And I say that because I made a lot of contacts and talked to a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's how I met uh, Bob and, and Mary Catherine was, was through city council stuff. So mm-hmm. that has benefited me because uh, I, I can go places and I, I just know people from, from those experiences. Uh, it helped a lot with budgeting. Um, you know, I, I, pr- I know a lot about the other departments in the city and how that stuff works. So I, I think that that has been a tremendous help to me, and, and you're right. We used to I, – I mean I, I tried not to do it, but um, you could spend hours and hours discussing things, and, and that doesn't happen in law enforcement. But it's, yeah. it also gave me a lot of experience in, in sitting there and listening to people too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. All right. Thanks. Talk right. about okay. patience right. training. Yeah, thanks you a lot. Know, yeah, thanks a lot for the call. <laughs> 855-0811-877-285-9348-noon-at-indiana.edu. I asked David about training. I want to ask both of you because there is the new training facility. Talk about what that's going to do for both of your departments, for, well, the fire department in particular. Um, well, it, it's already it's been an incredible asset. Uh, we just ran a new recruit class through. They spent eight weeks and they probably spent, I would say, better than 50% of their time at, at our new training facility. So we got done and we was like – Wow, how do we do the, how do we do recruit classes before we had this? There's so much more you can do there rather than just mm-hmm. actually burning stuff. I mean, it's it's just an, an invaluable asset we have. And with that, it has changed. And when I came on, I think we spent two weeks in training. Essentially, showed you where the truck was at, what was on it, give you your gear, and said, 
you'll learn a lot of it on the street. Now we, spend, now we give them essentially eight weeks, and they start as if they know nothing, which a lot of them already have experience. And then we take them all the way to their what we call firefighter one-twos when they come out. Uh, and then they're also EMTs before they hit the street as well. So it's just a huge asset. The training has increased. The number of hours we spend with them training has increased. But the, the training tower is just an invaluable asset. To our community, the entire county, and matter of fact, the entire region, actually District 8, which is what our Homeland Security District is, will just will benefit from – uh, incredibly. So all your firefighters are EMTs as well? N- not all. A uh, few years ago, what's that been, Dave? Ten now maybe? Mm-hmm. We started running on uh, what you call life-threatening emergencies as well. At that time, we, uh, first responder was what we have to be. And everybody that, from, that was on at that point is a first responder. As they came on probably mid-90s maybe, right. the requirement was changed. You had to be an EMT. So mm-hmm. everybody from the mid-90s on now is have to be EMTs. And a lot of our guys have gone back and picked up the EMT as well. So I'd say we're probably at about 60% of our department, maybe 65% are EMTs, EMTs as well. Can they get the EMT training locally or do they have to travel for that? They can get locally. There's a, a business down on Dillman Road. I'm not sure what the name of it now. It's changed hands a time or two. Pelham. 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 And we send them down there. If they don't have it, as soon as they get out of our recruit school, we send them down there to get their EMT training before we actually put them on shift. Mike, are your officers EMT trained, any of them? Uh, I think there might be a couple that, that got that certification before they became police officers, but we don't. We train them as first responders. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean exactly? They don't have the, well, I guess the knowledge and experience as and as an, an EMT would. But what's or, a first responder? Basically, you, you just take – you know how to take care of like cuts and things like that. Um, you know, if, if someone's bleeding, you can – you work on stopping the bleeding and things like that. And they're CPR certified and, and uh, um, we're getting AEDs in our cars again. We had them a couple years ago and then um, didn't have them and now we have them again. And so Those are the defibrillators. Yes. And so we're training, training them on that also. Okay. And the, the new gun range – How's that going to help your department? It's actually it's it's going to be a, a huge benefit to us because we spend, um, you know, when we had the IU firing range, we were shooting ten, eleven times a year, um, and when we lost that facility, we went down to three or four times a year. Um, you know, it, it's nice to have that training. Um, you know, it's not your typical. You just stand at a line and, and shoot at a target. We do a lot of, of what we call combat training. Um, whereas there are times we go to the range and, and you might fire your weapon one time, but it's just how you move and how you how you do different things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's going to be a benefit for our department, but like Roger said, the entire region also because there are not any indoor ranges close by, and and we we spend a tremendous amount of overtime in training our officers in, in firearms training because we have to send them out of county to to go shoot. Um, also in that room, though, is, is a uh, going to be a training room that the fire department can use. Um, our officers are, are um, also able to use the, the uh, fire training facility. Uh, mm. the, our, our tactical team practices in that every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And um, so there'll so, be a classroom space. Is that what you're saying? There is. Uh huh. Okay. Yes. All right. We're going to go to the phones, and I think this is a caller Mary Catherine and I both know, Gretchen, who's uh, with the Leadership Bloomington Group. Hi, Gretchen. Gretchen? Hi, Mary Catherine and Bob and all the rest of you that do such good work. David, we've all been working together, and I have a question for all of you. Uh, the question is, how are your vehicles funded, and how often do you have to replace any of your fleets or the equipment you use? Uh, this is mostly a funding question concerning the vehicles. All and right. do you have everything you need? Okay. Thanks, Gretchen. You're welcome. Who wants to go first? David? I'll go first. Um, <laughs> we put a lot of miles on each one of our frontline ambulances, and ambulances are, uh, are, are very um, sophisticated pieces of equipment. And we could actually replace uh, one or two units every year. Our, our fleet is getting older. Our uh, youngest uh, ambulance is uh, 2004. And so uh, we've got in our budget, hopefully this year, for a one replacement and then a refurbish of our rescue squad. Uh, we we need more, but uh, every ambulance empty that we buy from uh, through the Horton Company um, is $125,000 just for the ambulance. That doesn't count uh, the equipment that goes inside and so forth. So it's uh, uh, it, it, it's uh, it's something that's much needed. I mean, it's our, our office out there, and it, they're built for safety, mm-hmm. but uh, they're expensive. And how many do you have? How many ambulances? We have 11 ambulances and three squads. Uh-huh. Okay. Roger, how about your... Well, I'm probably in a unique position. Uh, 
Uh, ours runs anywhere from uh, a pump or bear, which we're just really actually getting ready to go take delivery on, is about four hundred and sixty to seventy thousand. A ladder truck can get up into the seven hundred and fifty to a million dollars. So we're in a kind of a different situation. We don't uh, one hundred twenty five is a lot, but I mean that's we're we're kind of over that. So we really have to try to plan ahead to uh, get that into our budgets. Um, been very fortunate. Uh, some Westside TIF money has helped buy some piece of apparatus for us. Uh, some other funding. We're trying to get on a rotation, so about every two years we're trying to replace because we try to keep on a ten-year front line, line cycle, put them in reserve for five years, and then and then try to move them on. That would be ideal uh, world. We do have some that are older now. We have some some of our backup equipment is uh, from the eighties, eighty-six, eighty-seven models. So uh, we're trying to get to where we don't have that uh, anymore. We're trying to get on, on a rotation. As you find out. The newer they are, the less maintenance you have. They actually end up costing you less in the long run because you don't work on them as much. So You can never tell how old fire equipment is, though, because you guys keep it looking so nice. Well, good. That's the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> so we're a little bit unique. In fact, our equipment is, is fairly expensive. And, and, uh, and the build-out time, the, the engine we're getting ready to set now, we actually uh, let the bid, I think it was in September of last year. So you're talking about mm. 240 or 250 days to build some of these things. Wow. So it wow. takes a while. Yeah, you wouldn't want those sitting around the showroom. No. No. no, they don't like that too yeah. <laughs> Our vehicles are all funded through general fund money through the budget. Um, we have – our marked cars are, are Ford Crown Victorias. They have um, – they're, they're actually built as police cars or they're police packages on a, on a vehicle. Um, we have a replacement schedule. We just ordered seven of them last week that hopefully will be in by the end of May. Um, then we mark them and we outfit them with all of our police equipment. Mm-hmm. All right. I have a couple questions for Mike. One is about um, – we've had a couple of shooting incidents in the county in the last uh, three or four weeks. Didn't involve your department, but officers did fire their, their weapons. Mm-hmm. What happens – You know, if that were to happen in your department, what would happen with the officer? What kind of What kind of – Counseling, training, you know, what kind of follow-up would there be to, to a situation like that? Well, we would have an internal investigation as to the uh, um, circumstances surrounding the shooting um, and evaluate those. And, and that's something that uh, we, we look at in our, in our training. And I, I alluded to that earlier about the combat training. And we try to uh, take different scenarios and situations and things that happen around the country um, and, and incorporate those into our training sessions so that – um, officers are aware of, of what they ought to be doing and, and are at least familiar with those types of situations. Um, the one situation um, that the uh, sheriff's department had with the uh, gentleman wanted by the uh, U.S. Marshals, um, you know, that was a situation I wasn't there. From what I read about it, the uh, the subject that the sheriff's department was trying to arrest looked like he reached for something and then started to turn. Um, obviously, uh, the information they had was that this subject was wanted on weapons charges and drug dealings. Um, so he certainly posed a risk to those officers. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it ha- things happen very quickly. So, mm-hmm. you know, you try to train and, and provide your officers with, with, with those types of experiences so that it just comes natural what, what their reaction is going to be. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I just wondered, when we're talking about weapons, do um, David and, and, and do, do anybody uh, – do any members of your um, organizations carry weapons? No. Yes. <laughs> we, that was a fire a, no and an ambulance yes. We have uh, um, about five of our paramedics that are also a part of the critical incident response team. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've gone through all the firearms training necessary. They respond with the CERT team whenever they're called out as their medical uh, backup support. Uh, those are the only ones that carry weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be nice to have weapons sometimes in some of the situations we get in, but yeah. it's, uh, it's not what we do. Okay. And we've had an email that has come in. It begins, good afternoon. My name is Jake, and I am in a fraternity here at IU. I was wondering what kind of relationships, positive or negative, that the general community of emergency care professionals as well as police have with fraternities and or sororities on campus. Well, I can say from the fire side, we we have an excellent relationship. They've actually done some water ball activities, which helps to have helped us raise funds for a shop with a firefighter and uh, some burnout victims, things like that. So mm-hmm. we we've been involved somewhat with the fraternities and sororities on campus. Uh, not a lot, but enough that what we have been involved is have been a, a very positive uh, experience for the fire department. Okay, 
I, I don't Mike, they're always glad to see you guys <laughs> show up, I'm <laughs> I sure. I, I don't think we have a bad relationship with them. Um, you know, I don't think we interact a whole lot um, with fraternities or sororities unless we get called. And, we, and quite honestly, we really don't get that many calls because they're mostly located on campus and IU will deal with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. David? We've got a good relationship with uh, with everybody at IU. I think uh, fraternities and sororities. We'll we'll come in and we'll do some special event coverage for uh, for some of their events and so forth. And obviously, we respond to their medical uh, needs. Uh, but uh, we've we've got a good relationship. We have just about two minutes, two and a half minutes to go. And I want to give each of you a chance, uh, Mike and, and Roger in particular. Do you have a, an overriding goal that you have for your your new administration? Or just name one thing that you'd really like to to move forward, something that's sort of a, a pet project for you. One of the things I'm trying to do is I'm trying to increase the number of officers we have. Yeah. I, I think that there are, there are uh, different programs and different things that we can do uh, crime prevention-wise that um, will work and, and make the community safer. So that's that's one of the things that I'm going to try to work on. Okay, Roger. I think we're going to – our main focus right now has been on getting our officers ready to take the next step in their career. Uh, the fire service has done a very good job of getting you initially started to be in the fire service and then as you kind of go up through the ranks, they kind of just throw you the next step and say, good luck, learn on your own. So we're trying to really focus on uh, officer development, I guess, as you would call it, trying to get the people who are ready to take that next step, get them some classes, get them in uh, some programs so that when, they're, when they do get that promotion – they're ready to hit the ground running, not trying – they're obviously going to have to learn a lot as they go, but at least have some of that groundwork laid that they can build right on top of. Mm-hmm. And David, you've talked about several things, but is there any anything in particular you'd want to mention? Yeah, uh, you, one of the things on our wish list is that uh, we're at a point in this, uh, in this county to where we need to add another truck and crew. Uh, our volume increases about 5% every year. Over the past seven years, it's continued to increase. We've not added one person to our staff, and we're running pretty tight right now. But, again, it goes back to the funding issue. Uh, how's Because it's, it's, it's rather expensive to put a, you know, a two-man crew on the street for 12 hours a day, seven days a week. But that's something we're, we're, we're needing. Okay. And in the last 30 seconds, Mike, why did the Bloomington police officers uh, switch from the lighter blue to the darker blue uniforms? <laughs> that was uh, – I think that was a Jim Kennedy um, oh, okay. uh, thing. I, I think – Slimming. They're slimming. They are. Yeah. They, they stay, <laughs> you can't see the dirt as easily on them, I guess. <laughs> All right. No, no, change, no, no thought of changing back or anything. I kind of like the dark uniform. Okay. We, we are switching the way our cars look. We're going to uh, black and white squad cars. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. So. Kind of Mayberry-esque. Like well, we kind of prefer to look at more traditional police <laughs> That'll be something to think about. Uh, you know, this has been a great program, and hopefully we can have you all back to do something again because there are lots and lots of questions mm-hmm. and, and lots of things we could have talked about that we didn't. But I want to thank uh, Mike Deekoff and Roger Kerr and David DeGroote for being here with us today. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Catherine Hageman, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org.